0: Good morning. I'd like to invite you to open up your Bibles to John chapter 21. That's where we're going to be reading this morning. Um, this weekend is an important weekend um, to remind us uh, of certain things uh, that you and I have a lot to be thankful for, right? Now, this is a, a moment in which uh, our country takes a, takes a weekend to Remember those who have made the ultimate sacrifice. And, and, and here's what I, I like to use this weekend as a reminder of, to live in my faith, right? This is, this is a reminder to live in my faith. One, ultimately you and I celebrate this morning uh, the greatest sacrifice ever made, right? Um, but also we celebrate the sacrifice of men and women and families uh, throughout our country, uh, and, and we can live our faith boldly in a country because of what they they sacrificed. And so if, if, you, if you know someone who's affected, a family member, uh, you know, send a text tomorrow and just say, man, we love you and, and, and we want to encourage you today. Um, so I would like to start the sermon off uh, with, with prayer. And I would like to pray for two things. Uh, one, if you're willing to pray with me, I ask you to pray the, the same things with me. The first part would be, man, that we hear from God this morning. That that not only do we hear from Him, but that, that our hearts are willing to submit to His Word this morning. And if you're willing to pray that prayer, uh, I challenge you to pray it because uh, we're going to read His Word and He's got something to say to you. Uh, but also I ask that, um, you know, pray for me because... Some, you know, you get out of practice of this and you get pretty nervous. Like, I, I don't know what it is, but I'm pretty nervous this morning. Uh, so say a prayer for me. Let's pray. God, our Father, we thank you so much that uh, you are the creator and the savior of this universe. God, that you paid the price of our sin, a price that we couldn't pay. And God, we thank you for uh, men and women who have gone before us as well and paid that price, that, that we live in a country where we can live our faith out boldly in your name, God. And as we come to this sermon and to this moment of worship, God, we pray that our hearts be open, that our ears will be listening for your word, And that we leave here being people of faith. God, who live out boldly in your name. God, I pray that the the words that that are said this morning are your words. And that they bring honor and glory to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As Hannah told you earlier, I'm not your usual preacher. uh, And so, uh, that's good news, right? And. So I do campus ministry at JMU, and I work with uh, the college generation every single day. Uh, This is the fourth year that Cindy and I have been at JMU, which means if you know the college cycle, you know, what happens in four years, When those people that you met the very first day that you were there, man, they're leaving us. Um, And there's been like these mixed emotions within this moment of like, Oh, man, <laughs> they're our friends, and they're not going to be here anymore. Uh, but there is fruit from our ministry. Uh, in fact, there's a young lady. Her name's Morgan. I think she's okay with me telling you this. She is actually going into campus ministry herself. She's turning around, and she's going to VCU to the CSF there to do campus ministry. So. Though it's heartbreaking and it's hard for us to go through as our friends leave us, and we pray that we're sending them out wherever they go uh, as missionaries in their life. So uh, that's just a little bit about me and about what I do. Um, We have any Lion King fans in here. Anybody seen the movie The Lion King? I know it's a little bit older, uh, but it's a great Disney movie. Uh, I grew up on Disney movies, and and Disney has this way of... (laughs) making us feel things in our heart, right? Uh, You know, you watch this movie, and and immediately we fall in love with the king lion. His name's Mufasa. Uh, And and Mufasa is a, you know, he's the ideal king of his people, right? He's their protector. Uh, He's their provider. We see that almost immediately in this movie. And as we continue to travel along with Mufasa in this movie... We also see that, man, he's a loving husband and, and, you know, he's not afraid to get down and play with his kid. And we really just, man, we like this lion a lot. And you may remember the scene. He takes Simba, his his little boy, out to show him the, you know, where he's supposed to go and what he's going to lead one day. And he gives him one rule. And the one rule is you're not allowed to go to the elephant graveyard, you know, the place where the sun doesn't touch. Um, And what does Simba do? Anybody remember? Almost immediately, he's he's disobedient, right? Almost immediately, he goes to the elephant graveyard. You know, some trickery and some things go on in the plot line. But eventually, that plot leads to something happening to Mufasa. I remember distinctly watching this as a kid, and then I was like, turn, and I look at my mom, and I'm like... He's not getting up. <laughs> uh, you know, you may remember the scene, and he's thrown over into the gorge where the wilder beasts trample on him and kill him. Uh, and Disney makes us like <laughs> little kids' hearts break. It's horrible. Um, what was Simba's reaction? He runs as far as way because in his mind he has contributed to the death of his father. He runs as far away. From that situation, as he possibly can, right? And he goes and tries to find his own little akuna matata while all along the way his country land, his people needed him, right? He still had a plan and a purpose. Man, and I wonder when we come into this moment this morning, how many of us <laughs> are far away trying to make our own akuna matata? trying to make our own happy life because we've decided to do something against God and we don't want to face up to the shame and guilt of that. So we wall ourselves off and we run as far away from him as possible. As a campus minister, you know, I see people at their best times and I see people at their worst times, right? And you probably know college students make choices that they shouldn't make. Uh, and I've seen students in those moments. In fact, I remember talking to a young man, and we're, we're just talking back and forth. And, you know, he's like, he doesn't know who I was. Uh, but, you know, he's like, so what do you do? Which can be an awkward question for ministers sometimes, right? He says, what do you do? And I'm like, well, I'm a campus minister here. And immediately, man, he, he, he turns his face to the ground Puts his hands in his pockets, kicks the dirt and says, I used to go to Young Life, but I don't anymore. Or maybe it was the woman at CVS when I was a young man. I was you know, probably 18, 19, something like that. I was going on a mission trip to Mexico, and I had to get a passport. And, you know, uh, where I'm from, when you have to get a passport, you've, you've got to get an official. I don't know how it works anymore. You've got to get an official picture taken. Well, it was like the CVS that you got the official picture taken at. And, you know, the woman was really excited. She was like, oh, I love taking these pictures and getting to know what people are doing when they're, when they're getting their passports. And she said, what are you all doing? And, you know, we said, we're going to Mexico to do mission work and it clicked. And she said, my brother still does things like that, but I don't go to church anymore. And I wonder what it is inside of our minds that that makes us want to run away from God. And in fact, that's the question I want to help us answer this morning is, how does God feel about us when we Make mistakes, but also when we continually make mistakes. How does he feel about us? We're going to read in John chapter uh, 21. This is the last chapter of the book of John. And so if you read the book of John, it's very interesting. Once you get to chapter 20, you read the end of chapter 20 and you're like, well, that's a pretty good ending place, John. You could probably stop there with those last two verses. But there's one thing that is unresolved in the book that that John wants us to clearly see uh, as a resolution, right? And it is that Peter, one of Jesus' best friends, did something in chapter 18. Does anyone remember what, what Peter does against Jesus in chapter 18? Here's a reminder, he does it three times. That's right, he denies him. Three times. When Jesus, his best friend, is in the, the greatest need in the moment, Peter says, Not me. <laughs> I'm not involved in that. And I don't know if you remember, but uh, in the book of Matthew, when he remembers that Jesus said he would do it, he, rep- he, he begins to weep and then he runs away. And I wonder, man. Here is what John tells us how God feels about Peter when he makes mistakes. John chapter 21, starting in verse 1. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Canaan in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. Notice what does he say in verse 3? I'm going out to fish. Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. I looked that word up in Greek, that nothing word, and it means nothing. They didn't catch anything, right? Nothing. You know, some commentaries and people who, who write about this passage, they, they're pretty easy on Peter. They're like, oh, you know, Peter was commanded to go to Galilee and wait on Jesus. And, you know, him going fishing is just him waiting on the Lord to get there. And then some other commentaries are like super hard on Peter. And they're like, yeah, no, 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 this is Peter going back to his career Uh, And you can think either way you want to think. Um, Either way could be correct. I tend to think that Peter was going back to his career. Do you remember what he was before he was called to be a disciple? That's right. That's what he did for a, a lifestyle. Let me illustrate it like this. If I say the words, I'm going to play basketball, what do you think? You probably think, I'm going to go out here uh, on the little playground and I'm going to do my best to get the ball in the hole, right? That's, That's what it means when I say, I'm going to play basketball. When Michael Jordan leaves baseball and goes back to basketball and he says, I'm going to play basketball, what do you think he's going to do? He's going to make a career for himself, right? When Peter says, I'm going to go fishing, He's hit this moment in his mind where all he thinks he's good for is what he once did, right? <laughs> That's all he thinks that, that, he, uh, that he can accomplish. Now, I've got a picture up here of the Sea of Galilee. And, you know, um, interestingly enough, the, you can see the middle picture there, the waters receding at the Sea of Galilee. Uh, This was a normal place for Jesus and his disciples to do ministry. If you read the book of, of John, in fact, the majority of the ministry that Jesus does in the book of John is in this area by the Sea of Galilee. Now... We want to keep reading because we're we're still wondering, you know, how does Jesus feel about Peter? We can kind of get an idea of how Peter feels about Peter, right? He thinks he's good for nothing but fishing. And now we want to know, man, how does Jesus feel about him? Verse 4. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends or little children, haven't you any fish? No, they replied. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul in the net uh, in because of the large number of fish. Now, there's another picture here and and I invite you to look at it. In fact, if you go to the Sea of Galilee today, uh, you can find this same boat. Uh, you can Google it right now it, it 's uh, a first century boat, aka if you look up the jesus boat that 's what they call it online sometimes um, and, and here 's the, the measurements of this boat. This boat is somewhere around twenty one feet long and about seven and a half feet wide. Uh, and here 's what Peter and, and the disciples do is they go out and as they 're fishing they 've caught nothing, right? And then something interesting happens. What happens? They see a man on the, on the shore, and they don't recognize him, which is pretty normal after the resurrection. People don't recognize who Jesus is. Uh, uh, but they don't recognize him, and he tells them to do something. What's he tell them to do? Walk across the boat <laughs> and toss your net in, right? You see the difference between success and not being successful? It's not the measurement of the boat, it's the obedience of their heart, right? That, that when they're obedient to what Jesus tells them, it's the difference between being successful and not being successful, right? You may remember, and, and I bet some of you in this room, you like clicked in on this miracle. You're like, I have heard that miracle before. Anybody heard this miracle before? Funny, funny story. This miracle occurs twice in the New Testament. This is the second time that it occurs. The first time it occurs, it occurs in Luke chapter 5. If you want to go back and read it, I invite you to read that that chapter. You want to know something beautiful? They're two different stories because the circumstances of the stories are totally different. The first time the boat comes in, Jesus goes onto the boat. He goes out into the water and teaches the people, right? Right? And Peter and his friends have been out there all morning, all night long. And Jesus says, let's go back out and go fishing. And they look at Jesus and Peter pretty indignantly says, you're a carpenter. You don't know anything about fishing. I've been fishing all night and haven't caught anything. How are you going to tell me what to do? He goes out. Same, same exact miracle, Right? It says in in Luke chapter 5 that they catch so many fish that it it begins to like sink two different boats, right? And you may remember that this is the chapter in which Jesus calls Peter to be his disciple. He says, I will make you a fisher of men. Did you see it? I don't know if you saw it. There's some pretty interesting things going on here in John chapter 21. One of the very interesting things is that that Jesus, when he calls Peter back into the mission, he calls him the same way that he originally called him. The exact same miracle. And there are people in this room who who think that your way back to God is guilt and shame and beating yourself up long enough to get right with God. But is that how he first called you? He first called you into grace and mercy and freedom. And the same way that he originally called you is the same way that he calls you today. How does Jesus feel about Peter? He feels the same way, right? Let's keep reading because there's some pretty interesting things in this story. Verse 7. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, the author of this book, said to Peter, Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped himself in his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed the boat in the boat, towing the, the net full of fish. They were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coal there with fish on it and some bread." And Peter does his like normal Peter type thing, right? Peter's like a ready-go-set type person. You know, he doesn't really think about things through. And man, as soon as, as, soon as John tells him that it's Jesus, what's he do? Man, he does the reaction that I want to do, right? <laughs> that, that he jumps over and he starts swimming even though he, he was only 100 yards. I mean, it's not that far. You could have helped him in. And John does something incredible when he writes this passage what do they notice when they get on the shore anybody see it they notice three things someone tell me let's let's interact a little bit they they notice fire fish and bread well one very interesting thing did did Jesus need the fish that they were bringing No, he had already provided for them. He didn't need their fish. But what's he selling? He says, bring what you've caught. (laughs) He wanted what they had, right? Man, the, the, the one thing that really blows my mind in this passage is that word for fire or burning coals. It's only used twice in the entire New Testament, that Greek word. The first time that it's used is in John chapter 18. You may remember a young servant girl comes to Peter. While Jesus is on trial, she comes to Peter and says, well, aren't you one of them too? And he says, it's not me. You remember what he was doing when he said it? John says he was warming himself by the coals of fire. (laughs) And I wonder when Peter swims to the shore the very first thing they recognize is the coals of fire. I wonder if in his mind it is an automatic reminder of his worst moment. That that when he swims and he sees the fire, all he can think of is what he did in chapter 18. I don't know if Peter thought about it, but John definitely thought about it because John connected those words on purpose, right? Jesus not only calls him back in the way he originally called him, but he's also recreating for him the way that he left. Right? He's recreating this moment for Peter. And the question becomes, why? Why are you recreating this moment? Because all all Peter's going to be reminded of is his failure. But if Jesus didn't recreate the moment, every single time Peter saw burning coals of fire, he would say, I'm a failure. Uh, you know, I have little nieces and nephews, and I'm kind of old and out of touch, uh, but I've heard that Crocs are coming back into style. Are they coming back into style? <laughs> my, my little niece, she's like uh, 14 years old, and she asked for a pair of Crocs for her birthday. Is that the next picture? I think it is, isn't it? Or is it? Yeah, there we go. Perfect, perfect. I don't know if you've ever worn a pair of Crocs. I love them. I have like, you know, three or four pair. They're, they're just amazing shoes. It's like you're walking on a cloud. They're dangerous shoes, though, if you haven't walked in them. You know, they're not, they're not very safe. Because when you're walking on like a slick floor, like a tile or a hardwood, something like that, these shoes, their rubber like is glue. It like glues down to those things. And as you're walking, What happens? You're walking along and then boom! It's like you start to trip up, right? But then you decide I'm going to walk a little bit better but then ten steps later you forgot and you're tripping on the same thing, right? Man, think about your own life right now. Is this week's sin that you have fallen prey to, is it the same sin that you... Fell prey to a week ago or two weeks ago. I I, I, I'm almost willing to bet money on it that each one of us, the sin that plagued us five years ago, is still the sin that we fall on today. It may not be true for you, it's very true for me. And I wonder and why. God, if, if, clearly I keep making the same mistake. Why is it put in my path? And you know what I think? I think the same thing's true for Peter. He's recreating a circumstance to remind me of his redemption, right? That 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 storyline doesn't have to be the same that he has redeemed me from sin and given me the ability to be free from sin. And what does freedom from sin mean? Freedom from sin means that I can make the circumstance different because I can walk away from the coals of fire or whatever it is that's tripped me up in my life and make it something different and not be reminded of my failure, but be reminded of his redemption. And that every time that that comes in my path, what can I say? I can say, thank you, Jesus, that you are redeeming this situation right now to remind me of his redemption. I mean, how does God feel about us when we continually make the same mistake? Are you ready for it? It's coming. What's well, it's kind of been there all along, but it's coming. Verse 7. Then the disciple, whom Jesus loved, said to Peter, It is the Lord. He heard it. He wrapped himself in his outer garment and jumped into the water. Notice in verse 9, when they landed, they saw a fire burning of coal with fish on it and some bread. Verse 15, the continuance of the story. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? That word these is very interesting. It could be several things, right? That word these could be, do you love me more than the other disciples love me? Man, that word these could be this great number of 153 fish. Do you love me more than these? It could be both. Do you love me more than these? Jesus says to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things, and you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Well, one, you probably can see a direct correlation between the two stories of Peter's greatest failure and Peter's invitation back into the gospel, right? Three and three, but there's something underlying this passage that is um, complicated, but also beautiful. Are y'all cool if I overcomplicate it just a hair? If not, we'll we'll pass it up. All right, good, uh, good, uh, (laughs) let's do it. Jesus says, do you love me more than these? The first time he says, you've you've heard this word. It's the verb form of agape. You've heard that word maybe in Greek. Uh, In fact, you might see people with tattoos of it. Uh, It's the word that that the Bible usually uses for God's love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love that's described there is agape, right? It's like a complete, full love. Jesus says, do you agape me, Peter? And Peter says something interesting. He says, yes, Lord, you know that I philos you. You know that Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love? He says, yes, Lord, you know I philos you. I love you like a brother. So Jesus says, do you love me 100%? And Peter says, "Yeah, 70%. (laughs) Jesus says a second time, do you love me a hundred percent? And Peter says, 70. And you would think, you know, in, in your good biblical mind, you think, okay, Peter's going to step up to the plate the third time and he's going to love Jesus with everything. And the very interesting thing is Jesus says, do you feel me? The third time. Do you love me like a brother? And it brings up these emotions in Peter. And he says, you know all things and you know that I love you like a brother. I said I'm going to overcomplicate it a little bit because how does Jesus feel about us when we continually make mistakes? How does he feel about us when when all we have to give is me 70%? And he meets us exactly where we are and uses what we have for his kingdom, right? If you go on to read the book of Acts, Peter preaches the the first sermon after the ascension, right? Peter becomes a pillar in the early church. (laughs) How does God feel about us when we continually sin, when we make the same mistake? He calls us, do you see it? He calls us the same way that he originally called us, Grace and mercy. He invites us back into the gospel through redeeming the circumstance. Right? And then he uses what we have for his kingdom. <laughs> I got some cute pictures coming up. Um, don't ooh and ah over them too much, but there's two cute little fellows in these pictures. I think they're coming up. Ooh, right. Oh, what cute little fellows. Um, that is me and my twin brother Joshua. Um, oh, I know it's crazy. <laughs> I had a nickname as a child. Uh, at that young age, my nickname was Mister Spilett. <laughs> you think that's funny, but it's really not. <laughs> In fact, I'm a 30 year old man, and two Sundays ago, I was in my parents' house, and my dad said, "Mr. Spillit." <laughs> what happens to us when people tell us something about ourselves? Man, I tell you, what happens to a little kid when they're called Mr. Spillit? You hand them a glass of water, and what do they do? Man, they grab onto that thing as tight as they possibly can because they are not going to spill that water, right? and then they walk, and because they're paying so much attention to the glass of water, what happens? They spill it. It's called the Pygmalion effect, or a self-fulfilling prophecy. That, That what people say about you, and what you think about yourself, is what comes true. We have a dilemma in Christianity, and the dilemma is not Christians who don't believe in Christ, the dilemma is Christians who have stayed in wondering how does God feel about me when I continually sin, who have stopped believing in who God created them to be. That's the dilemma. See, we've got a world of social media, a world of parents who, who say weird things to their kids, and it begins to compact in our mind, doesn't it? And you know how I know it compacts in our mind because I I sit with people and I listen to people and people say things like, and I'm no good for that. I I can't do that. They put their hands in their pocket, they put their head to the ground and they kick the dirt. See, it's about time that we as Christians begin to believe in who God created us to be, right? Right? The Bible says that he knit us in our mother's womb, that before anyone knew us, that he knew us, right? <laughs> he knew that as a 30-year-old man, I would still be called Mr. Spilett. And the truth is that as 30, at 30 years old, I would still be making the same mistakes that I made when I was an 18-year-old, right? He knew that. And yet, the Bible also says in Romans chapter 8, verse 31, it says, if God is for us, then who can be against us? You know, I preach this sermon because I believe that this could be the, the summer that makes the difference in your walk with Christ. I believe that this could be the summer in which you begin to choose to live in the calling that God has given you rather than living in the past of what you used to do, Right? Notice every time that that Jesus talks to Peter, what does he say at the end? Feed my sheep, feed my lambs, take care of them, right? It's not a very good thing to be called sheep, right? (laughs) Sheep aren't very intelligent animals. And Peter says there are people who are stuck and and they're they're going thirsty while the water is right there beside them. Go and feed them, he says, move past it. Move past it. All right, let's close with prayer. God, our Father, we thank you that you redeem our circumstances. God, that you are inviting us and calling us and drawing us into yourself. And God, as we prayed at the beginning, we pray that you give us hearts and minds to listen. That when you call, that we come, God. God, give me a heart like Peter (laughs) when I recognize you to jump out of the boat and swim as fast as I can. God, I thank you for who you are and what you're doing.